Yeah, thank you for tuning in. It's more than a podcast. Inexhaustible episodes, God's vast. Glorify him as we broadcast the Lord's grace and God's wrath. More serious than a bomb blast. Full disclosure inside the title. No surprises, simply put, guys with Bibles, yeah. Just some regular reborn reformed cats If it's in the Bible then they're gonna speak on that Cause the scripture is the final word okay. Competing ideas quite absurd Of this you can be quite assured <laughs> yeah. We were lost in the darkness of night immersed in sin But then the, the light, light emerged. emerged It was the Son of God, divine Christ that shines light The word in Genesis that assigned life in hindsight And was revealed through the prophets and apostles We magnify and expound on the power of the gospel Yeah, yeah Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to Guys with Bibles. I'm Lee, and I'm back again for some more Theophany talk. In this episode, we're going to look at one of the most well-known and famous Theophanies uh, throughout the entire Old Testament. Uh, I'm trying to go through these in uh, biblical book order, so there's no that that's the way that I'm organizing this. So we were in. Genesis last time uh, with the annunciation of the birth of Isaac, and we're going to go to Exodus 3 now and have a look at the theophany with Moses at the burning bush. I hope you all are um, enjoying the series so far. I hope that it's helpful, maybe a little provocative, and uh, so I'd love to get some feedback if, if uh, this is something that you guys are interested in. If you have questions or ideas or notes um, from commentaries or, or other things like that that you want to add, um, do get in touch. You can email directly to guyswbibles at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and on Twitter and on Instagram at guyswithbibles. Um, we have open DMs. I'd love to get some feedback on uh, maybe what, what thoughts this series may provoke. So so feel free to get in touch because uh, I would really enjoy uh, having some conversation about this because I think this is a fascinating topic for sure. One, one of many fascinating topics in, in Scripture. So, all right, without further ado, uh, we're going to go to Exodus 3. We'll start in... We'll just start in verse 1. We're going to kind of hop around this chapter a little bit uh, and look at the different. Not only, we're not only going to look at the appearance, the actual appearance of God in this vision, uh, in this passage, uh, but we're also going to talk a little bit about the content of what is communicated. Because after all, uh, a key part of a theophany is not simply the uh, marvelous appearance of God to someone, Um which is what a theophany is. It's, it literally means appearance of God. But those appearances come with a message, or sometimes several messages. And we're going to see in this passage that there are several messages that are communicated to Moses. All right. Exodus 3. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. 
So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. That's the first five verses. So here we have the appearance itself. Moses is out in the wilderness. He's isolated. He's working. He's tending the the, the pasture. Uh, he's 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 pasturing the flock of Jethro. And he's in the west side of the wilderness and comes to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, in looking through the commentaries, because I wanted to double check, um, Horeb and Sinai, Mount Sinai, are essentially interchangeable. We're not sure exactly to what degree. Some commentaries have said that Horeb is probably a description of the region that the mountain was in, while Sinai was the associated name of the mountain itself. And because the mountain is in the region, then the name of the region can also be attributed to the mountain. Um, regardless, they the, these are very closely connected. This is the same mountain then that Moses will go up uh, and receive the Ten Commandments from God after the Israelites are freed from Egypt. So this is the first of a couple different times that Moses is going to be on this mountain to meet with God. So he's on this mountain, he's in this area, and there is a bush. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm thinking of, you know, probably your typical scrubby bush that's in the desert, um, the kind that uh, doesn't need much water to live because there isn't much water to have <laughs> out in the wilderness. Um, but what's interesting is the fact that it's on fire because that's that doesn't really happen. Um, not out there, anyways. I mean, there wouldn't really be enough on that bush to even burn. And I'm, and you know, in my own mind, it makes me wonder if not only the light itself, but the confusion, the initial confusion to Moses, maybe that um, how in the world is this bush on fire? <laughs> There's nothing out here to set it on fire. Um, there may not be enough foliage on it to even burn if something did make it catch fire. Um, and it's a it's a blazing fire. So I'm not. I can't say that it's a, you know, a, a little, a small thing. It's got to be bright. It may have been hot, although obviously it was not consuming the, the, the bush. So maybe the fire threw off heat, maybe it didn't. But whatever it was, it was not a natural fire. However it acted, this was a supernatural fire, a supernatural blaze coming from this bush. And of course, Moses would get the attention of it. I think when we've seen depictions of this, at least when I'm thinking of depictions of the burning bush, they seem to be, they, they usually seem to be depicted at night. Like he's out, it's it's dark in the desert, he's got the, he's got the flock, and then this fire, this burning bush illuminates the night. Now, I'm sure that was probably the natural image that came into your mind too as we read this, and that may be that may have happened. That may be true. That it may have been in the middle of the day. Um, it's we don't know that. We don't really have to know that. Um, but I kind of do like the mental image of it being at night and this divine light shining from the bush. The presence of God is illuminating the darkness around Moses. I just kind of like that idea. Um, so we see this fire from the midst of a bush, 
and he's further confounded because the bush is not burning. It's not consumed. There's a, there's a fire there, but it's not actually burning up. So <laughs> Moses says what I think any of us would say, I've got to go look at this thing. I have to go see this marvelous sight. Why is this bush not burning up? And then, uh, it's so interesting. Then the Lord saw that he turned aside to look. And God called to him. God sees. You know, it, and this isn't to say that God was surprised. Like, oh, let's hope Moses looks over here. You know, God is sovereign. He knew, he knew what he was doing in this moment. He knew that this was going to be the way that he intended to reach Moses in this in this time but God sees his creation and and we're going to look at that a little bit more further in the section but God sees his people uh, he he takes notice of us even though we don't deserve it but he sees and not only does he see he calls so he saw that Moses turned aside to look and God called to him from the midst of the bush and said Moses Moses which is kind of the typical way that we see people call out to people when they're getting their attention, that repetition. Um, now notice, we're going to hop back here to verse 2, where it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire in the midst of a bush. But then it says God. There are instances in the Old Testament where there are angels. There are angels, sometimes even angels of God. And then there is the angel of God. Enough commentators have said, uh, and I think it's worthwhile, when you see the angel of God, it's safe to to assume this is not some mere angel, some average run-of-the-mill angel, so to speak. There's something special about the angel of the Lord. And some folks have said that um, that is possibly a signal for a Christophany. I may have mentioned that before. Um, that may be true in some instances. It may not be true. But if this is a particular messenger of God, because that's really what an angel is. An angel is a messenger bringing a message. This is the angel of the Lord, and it is God. It is God himself. Um, and, the, and the text does say that. So we're not making an assumption there. God is speaking to him from the midst of the bush. So he calls to him, here I am, which, let's think about this in terms of, of Adam and Eve, for instance, when God was calling to Adam and Eve after they ate the fruit in Eden, the, the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they hid. And when God called, you know, they were ashamed, they were afraid, and they didn't answer. But Moses answers here. He says, here I am. Uh, kind of, it's similar way that, uh, in a similar way that Isaiah will do, uh, when we look at his vision later on, here I am. He says, do, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. This is a, a, a misused Bible verse um, in my experience. This ground was ordinary before this incident, before this appearance. Mo it, it, had the bush not burnt, Moses could have walked on that ground all day long and pressed his footprints into it, and it would have not been an issue. It would not have been a sin. It would have been completely normal. But God, when God appears, he changes the place 
where he resides. This is going to be especially important in Exodus here and throughout the Old Testament because God is going to take up residence with his people. And there's going to be a segment of quote-unquote holy ground that the Israelites will take with them through their sojourning. Uh, This is going to be set up in the tabernacle, which is what I'm thinking of there. It'll be officially placed uh, when they build the temple later in, uh, in the story of Scripture. But God here is just beginning to hint at that. God is in this place. He's, he's in this area of land. He has made this holy ground by his presence. It's not inherently holy. There's nothing special about that dirt. But simply for the fact that God was sitting there in that bush, so to speak, sitting, in that bush, appearing to Moses, he now had to act uh, with reverence. And how was he to show reverence? He was to remove his sandals and walk with his bare feet uh, and stand in the place where God was. So he said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So God has now called him to a holy meeting. He's removed his sandals. and God has identified himself. And I think this is really important, especially for Moses, because we have to remember Moses had some identity issues as he was growing up. He was a, uh, an Israelite. He was a Hebrew. Um, we know the story of him floating in, the, in the, uh, the basket down the Nile, and then he was taken into the house of Pharaoh. So he had an Egyptian upbringing, but he knew all along he was not an Egyptian. So he learned all of the education that the Egyptians had to offer, but he was different. He was a Hebrew. And now God here is reminding him, I am your God. I'm the God of your father. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Um, these are, you are in his, God is saying, you, you are in my covenant. You are part of my covenant people. So he's, God is now identifying himself, and by identifying himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he has also identified Moses. I am for you, God is saying to him in this moment. I am the God of your people. This is no false Egyptian God. This is no uh, pagan god from some other people group from out in the desert. This is the god that your people know. This is the god of your fathers. So now we see God's holy. He's called Moses to a holy meeting. He's identified himself in terms of his covenant. Um, That doesn't exactly comfort Moses. In fact, it um, makes him afraid. This is the holy god, the only god, and he's standing in his presence, in the desert, alone. So he hides his face. That's what a sinner does. A sinner hides. Um, That's what Adam and Eve did when they sinned. And once Moses was confronted with the identity of God, he did what a sinner should do. He hid. And Moses was a sinner. No doubt he was a sinner. He'd taken a man's life. That's why he had run into the wilderness. That's how he ended up in this life that he's in now. He had committed a grievous sin while he was still in Egypt. And there were people out for his life um, because he had killed an Egyptian. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters. 
for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. So as I said before, God saw Moses noticing the light, the fire of the bush. God is a seeing God. There's plenty of places in Scripture that talk about the eye of the Lord, um, that God sees the works of men. God may not have eyes, right? God, God doesn't have eyes. He is spirit. He's not man like us. Um, Christ has eyes because he took on human flesh. God does not have eyes, but God sees. He notices. He takes note. And so he has seen, and, and he, God doesn't lie. He tells the truth. So in all of the blood and the sweat, the toil, the anguish of the Israelites in Egypt, God has seen all of that pain, all of that terror, all of that uh, loss of life. And he's heard. He's not only seen the affliction, um, but he's given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters. So he's a hearing God. He's aware. He's knowledgeable. He's aware of their sufferings. He knows. He's knowledgeable of, of what's going on with them. And he's a present God. In verse 8, I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians. He's not just sitting back hanging out. Oh, it's all cool. They've got it. They've got it under control. I don't mess in the affairs of mankind. No, this is a God who sees and he hears, he understands, and he appears. He acts. He gets involved. And he's going to do this now, as as we as we know, he's going to do that through Moses. He's going to commission Moses in this appearance, he's going to give him works to do. He's going to also send his brother Aaron, and he's going to have a work for them even after the Exodus. So he's equipping Moses, and he will equip Aaron as well to go to Egypt to lead the people out from their bondage uh, with the help of some uh, miraculous and devastating plagues. But it will all be God's doing. God has orchestrated all of this, and he, in case anybody would seek for some reason to brag, people would follow Moses. They would follow Moses into the wilderness. They would follow him through the Red Sea when it was parted. They would follow him into the wilderness, but it was God who did all of it. The same God who appeared in this fire, in the bush, to get Moses' attention, to commission him, to equip him, to encourage him, to challenge him. That is the same God who would split the Red Sea, who would bring the plagues on the Egyptians, and then who would lead the sinful Israelites through the desert as they wandered and chasten his people and then lead them into the promised land. It's the same God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God of Moses, and the God of Aaron, and then through the glories of redemptive history, the God of you and me, if you're a believer in Christ. 
That's the same God. He's your God. If you claim Christ, if you repent and believe in him and let your sins go, give them to Christ, and his righteousness is credited to you, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and all of those through redemptive history, that same God that they worship is your God as well. He provides for you. He leads you. He sanctifies you. He saves you. He preserves you in Christ and with the power of the Holy Spirit. Same God, same power, same holiness, uh, and same joyful obedience of the people to him. It's a glorious truth. And we're fortunate to have the story of the burning bush in the scripture because this is one of the things I love about the Theophanies is we have a right emphasis on ordinary things, the ordinary means of grace. I'm a huge proponent as a Reformed believer in those things. But God is an extraordinary God. And these stories remind us that this is a supernatural world that we live in. God is supernatural. He's not one of us. He's holy. He's higher than us. And in his grace, we now have record in the pages of Scripture of a completely inexplicable event. And there, there's a lot of people who have tried to explain it. There are people now who try to say that this was an acacia bush, and acacia can have a psychedelic effect. You can use um, parts of it um, to make a drug that can have a psychoactive effect. And some folks have said that that Moses was was tripping at the time when he saw the burning bush. He had a he had a, a psychedelic vision. Um, other people have just turned it into a metaphor. Um, but they say this could mean this. This could have been this. This could have been that. But believers are the only people who can say exactly what this was. This was the power of God manifested in a particular vision, giving special revelation to a chosen messenger, Moses. For our benefit, it is now recorded in writing, so we can remember it, that we can praise God, that we can know about God and his nature, who he is, how he works, and how he loves. So it's to our benefit to, to admit to confess, to, to know this was the work of God, not of anything else. This was the miraculous, gracious power of God to appear to Moses in this form at that time to give that particular message. And God's sovereign, and this was no accident. Um, nothing is an accident, and we can take refuge in that. Well, thank you. I hope that that uh, short study into the burning bush uh, was helpful to you, was encouraging, and maybe even challenging. As I said earlier, uh, check us out on social media. Send us some feedback. If you like this, if there are some other topics or passages that you'd like me to discuss or uh, us and a guest or something like that, um, you know where to find us. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Guys with Bibles. Uh, we're on Facebook. There's the Facebook group and a Facebook page. You can write and leave comments or join our group. 
Uh, you can email us directly at guyswbibles at gmail.com. Then you can also check out the website, guyswithbibles.com, where we have audio up of our entire catalog of episodes all the way back to the very beginning uh, of, of the podcast itself, as well as our blog archive and some other goodies on there too. So I, again, I hope this is uh, helpful and interesting, uh, and I'd love to hear more from you guys about uh, what you think. All right, this is Guys with Bibles, and we're out. <laughs>